flimsy stand slowing you down? Well, it's time to upgrade. Armadillo builds durable North American-made tablet stands and kiosks. We're so confident, we offer a lifetime warranty. So, elevate your business and visit armadillo.com. That's A-R-M-O-D-I-L-O.com and use code ACAST for 5% off. Armadillo, built to last, designed to impress. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Outspoken with White and Jordan. 100% engagement. It's a total disrespect. Download, stand well back, listen. Jim White and Simon Jordan. I don't see that view. Outspoken with White and Jordan. From the world's biggest sports radio station, Talk Sport. Thanks for listening to Outspoken with White and Jordan. I'm Jim White, and today myself and Simon discussed a huge week for Manchester United. With no appetite for change in the dugout, is this a more significant week for the players than it is for the manager Ten Hag. We hear from United fans. Plus, are the IOC wrong to reopen the door to Russian and Belarusian athletes once more at next summer's Olympic Games? Jason J. Smart is an international political consultant and he joined us on the show from Kiev, Ukraine. And we top boxing with British cruiserweight Richard Reakpour after Chris Billum-Smith retained his WBO cruiserweight title on Sunday night. This is Outspoken with White and Jordan. I'll be interested tomorrow morning to get the take of Manchester United fans once you know your fate. Because Manchester United tonight, uh, Champions League qualification very much on the line before a trip to Liverpool on Sunday. United will qualify tonight only if they beat Bayern Munich at Old Trafford and if uh, the other Group A game between Galatasaray and Copenhagen ends up in a draw. That is what is at stake. And yesterday, Scott McTominay went some way to saying, look, don't look at our dressing room for anything amiss. Everything's fine in there. We've had many amazing players over the time and I feel like now we're at a stage where we've got big characters in the dressing room where it's not just a case of like the, some of the other managers where it's been a little bit toxic at times. The, the boys are firmly behind the manager and that's, that's the be-all and end-all. I've said that in many other interviews and that's the, the way it will remain to stay. We've got amazing coaching staff as well. So, yeah, people can get lost in translation and get carried away with what the players think and what they say behind closed doors. We just want to do well for the football club and that's as simple as that. So he said it. He said it fairly simply, didn't he? The boys are fairly behind the manager. Um, I think we take it at face value, do we? Well, I don't think they have the character to have a toxic dressing room. I don't think they have the balls to have it. They certainly don't replicate their the, the character on the pitch. It's one thing suggesting it's easy. Words are easy, aren't they? The, you know, McTominay's coming out and saying the right thing. Um, his performance on Saturday, his performance on Saturday was abject after his performance earlier on in the week, which was v- very commendable. Um, I don't, I don't, I don't disagree with him. I don't think this group of players have the balls or the character to be able to create a toxic dressing room. 
I just think they're a weak version of what Manchester United require. Have they got the balls and character to do what is required on the pitch tonight? Possibly. I mean, Bayern Munich have just been beaten 5-1, so they've obviously you know, got their minds distracted and other things. There's nothing in this game for Bayern Munich. Um, besides Harry Kane coming back to England and perhaps scoring a goal against a team that might have wanted to acquire his services. Um, I wouldn't put it past United to get a spawny outcome. They don't deserve to go through this group. There's nothing about Manchester United's performance in this group that you can say, oh, that's admirable. They got away with one in the home leg against Copenhagen. They've gotten beaten away by Copenhagen. They've gotten beaten by Galatasaray. They got their heads handed to them in the most one-sided 4-3 game that you could possibly imagine in Bayern Munich. And they've got a group of players that, in my view are not befitting of the people that have gone before at Manchester United. They get more attention than their performances deserve because Man United are the poster boys for the back page of media because they operate with such a level of interest. So I'm not surprised. I absolutely 100% concur with uh, McTominay. They don't have a toxic dressing room because they don't have the characters to create one. They're going to need character tonight though, aren't they? Sure. Depends what Munich do. Got to find it if from Munich somewhere. Fan- if Munich fancy it, then see you later Man United. Yeah. If, if Munich don't, and they're off their game, and United can be bothered to turn up, and if they put out Rashford, he might fancy this on this evening, and maybe Martial will do us all a favour and turn up in the game, and maybe Fernandes will show us what leadership looks like for 15 seconds, and Maguire will defend as he has done in recent weeks, and perhaps correct some of the unfairness that his own fans visited on him, his own fans, um, then maybe Man United will get through this qualifying group. They don't deserve to, and even the most ardent Man United fans that will take exception to what I'm saying about their football club this morning are going to find it dis- difficult to disagree. I suppose the argument will be if you get through, you, d- you get what you deserve. Mm. But they'll have gotten through on the, on, the, on the actions of others rather than themselves, perhaps. I, I think, Simon, that's a good point you make. I think the most ardent of Manchester United fans can't help but agree with you on that around this time. I, I doubt because, it. But... <laughs> but their eyes don't lie. I mean, what you see, they see. And I'm absolutely with you on that. Is this a more significant week for the players then, Simon, than it is for Ten Hag? Bayern Munich and then Liverpool. Look, I mean, we, 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 we keep going around this circle about whether Ten Hag is the right solution and whether you should fire managers and whether you should keep them in position. If you're going in the right direction and the ownership that we question their actual engagement with the day-to-day operation of the football club to know enough beyond what's happening on a Saturday, because sometimes you can make a case that actually the results aren't coming instantaneously and we in the media will micromanage the outcome and go vroom, look at that instantaneously and then the next thing is oh they've done a good result so we'll move on and the, the, the ship's been corrected and neither has neither one of those is correct but but with Ten Hag if there's an inherent belief that he's correcting the the malaises of I believe I really do believe not because Oli Gunnar Solskjaer dated my girlfriend as some people like to say that's the reason why I don't like him is that uh, the reason Oh, no, of course not. The point is, is that's, that's what people people say because right. I keep on focusing on because I think he took the standards to a different place. I think Mourinho took them there as well because he became very dark, but for different reasons. I think Van Hal was just what Van Hal was and David Moyes didn't even get his feet under the table, did he? So, to, to be that's able to right. anything. That's right. So you look at this and say, yeah. if Ten Hag, if the belief system is that he's going in the right direction, he needs to be given more time. I, I look at it and say, why waste time? If I don't believe that Ten Hag is going to deliver the outcomes... So it's just as just it's just as commendable to pivot my favorite word recently and to redirect quickly if you've got a better alternative. If you haven't got a better alternative, there's nobody out there that can fix this particular malaise. There's there no are, there there's no clock or, 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 or Guardiola Guardiola look like uh, that you can put into your dugout to but, change the direction. But I, I don't think anybody could argue, Simon, that somebody out there could do a better job than Ten Hag. It's whether or not United well, we want that. to part company with but them. We now. say that, and again, and then I tell you what, if I went to you, well, who? 
and then we'd start scratching our heads for a second and think, well, who are we talking about? And what would they be doing? And who are they? Yeah. You know, and, uh, Do we make a case for Nagelsmann? Well, he's managing the German side in the Euros this year, so perhaps he's out of commission. Look, the challenge is United is a difficult beast to tame. And it doesn't come without a whole raft of opinion, 73,000 fans on a Saturday afternoon, the media that want to focus on Man United dawn till dusk. Yeah. There is, of course, the newsrooms, sports rooms around the world. Love it when United lose, because it's a story. It's less of a story when they win. Well, I mean, there's United fans messaging now, and if you want to send a message off the back of what Simon said, 81089, you don't think they've got the character in that dressing room to to um, show that it's a toxic dressing no, room? I don't. You don't think they've got the balls of the character I to think, do I it? Think, I think they can whine, and they can cry, and yeah. they can go and ha- talk about the need to have more support for their mental resilience, and you can have Jaden Sancho that can sit there and say, I don't like what's happened to me, even though I've replicated it through my entire career. Um, you know, you can have that sort of... That's not toxic. Yeah. That's just whiny. There's one of many messages, and mouthed and feeble-minded. I'm 100% with Simon. We don't deserve to go through. The players are nowhere near good enough. Simple as. And yet, if it's Ten Hag who's in the conversation as to whether or not he's good enough in the long term, as to whether or not he should be the man in the hot seat at Old Trafford right now, Rio Ferdinand had his own views on that when he spoke to us. It's not about just the manager. If you sack the manager and bring another manager in now, I reckon we'll still be here in two years saying the same thing. The culture at the football club's got to be set and changed. He's been trying to do that with all of the sagas we've seen off the pitch, from taking the armband off of Maguire to the Ronaldo situation for Sancho. I'd give him to the end of this season at least, right? But also within that, a new structure behind the scenes is imminently coming into this football club. I think that can have a, a, a real say on either his uh, fortunes at the club, but also if he was to go and somebody else's, because I don't think a manager can come in here on his own and change things. It's been it's been proven. It can't be just the manager all the time. We can't just keep sitting here and going, oh, it's the manager, it's the manager. It is, but it is the manager all the time. Yeah, yeah. It is the manager. The players, the players are as good and as bad as you allow them to be. They're not buying bad players. Sometimes they're buying the wrong character and sometimes they're buying the wrong players at the wrong time. And you've had so many different intellectual capitals that have had the thought processes to be able to you know, get outcomes. Ole Gunnar Solskjaer wanted Harry Maguire and got him. Jose Mourinho wanted Harry Maguire and didn't get him. Mm. So I, I think you have to say that with due respect that these players... <laughs> whose decision is it... When Rio goes off on one of these little, you know, blame it on the players mentalities. If you blame it on the players, it'd be redirecting back to the manager because now it's the current vogue to, be, to have the courage to say it's actually the players. Yeah. Whose decision is it to allow Garnacho or Rashford to not do what their jobs are, which is to track back and work hard for the team? Whose decision is that to tolerate that? Whose decision is not to deal with it? Because, the, you know, these are big characters. You're telling me they haven't got bigger characters in Man City's dressing room? You're telling me that the incumbent champions of English football that are walking around cock of the walk that think they're the best thing since sliced bread aren't going to have to take management, aren't yeah. going to have to take strong directional control yeah. from the leader of the football club, okay. which is the manager. Well, of course it's the manager. United fans hanging on your every word this morning. Gaz, lifelong United fan. I hate it when Simon is right about my beloved club, but he is, and that is a fact. There's Gary, Manchester United fan. I agree 100% with Simon. If United go through, it is not deserved. God only knows what United side turns up this evening. We just do not know. The world's most dangerous download. Outspoken with White and Jordan. From the world's biggest sports radio station, Talk Sport. Graham is a Manchester United fan who um, I think, I think very much concurs with your view, Simon, about the United players going into this one tonight. Winner bust against Bayern Munich. Graham, good morning. What's your take on it all? Morning, guys. 
guys. Uh, yeah, Simon, love Simon Jordan because he'll just sprout an opinion and if he's right or wrong, he'll stand by it and defend it. But he, he's absolutely right. that we, We've got a team of players who who just lack gumption. Uh, you know, two, two vital away games in the Champions League. You have to win them. You're two goals up in both of them and don't come away with three points. How is how is that in terms of a game management issue even possible for a club that has any aspiration to be considered top draw? It's not it's not possible. It isn't possible. It could happen once a season. You could be two up and get done. Yeah, fine. That happens to everybody. But two games on the spin. You need to win them both. And we're not talking about Real Madrid. And we're not talking about Bayern Munich. We're talking about with respect. Copenhagen and Galatasaray, good sides in their own right. Yes, yes. Yeah. Really? Did, did you not like what you heard from Scott McTominay, though, uh, Graham? That maybe it was toxic in the past, before Ten Hag, but not now. I've stopped, to be honest, I've stopped listening to football players. It's unlike Simon, none of them can have an opinion, can they? <laughs> they have to sit there and chat away and say the same old stuff. It's just, it is what it is. It's like watching the news. You just go, yeah, really, move on. Um, it, it, it's 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 noise to fill a space. And well done, Scott. You said all the right things. What's he going to say? Yeah, the manager's an idiot. Um, he's picked me. He's a fool because I'm inconsistent. He's not going to say that. <laughs> You've got Simon laughing here, Graham. Graham, before you go, mate, and we like your your points. Um, where do you stand on this? Is is it a more significant week for the Manchester United players than it is for Ten Hag? Um, I think the players have proven again and again that, like I said, they just lack gumption. So if anything, if anything, anything bad during the game happens, if they lose control or lose a goal cheaply through a, a goalkeeper mistake or something else, they don't, they don't, they don't lack the 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 uh, to get back into it. And I fear because Liverpool, Liverpool, and the history of that match means that. If they get to if they get to stab us in the neck, they will rip the throat open because they can, and they'll enjoy it. Um, and I feel really sorry for Ten Hag because I don't know of any manager who's had to come into a club and deal with Ronaldo, who's an, a walking ego, and had to deal with two sex scandals from Greenwood and, and Anthony. Then he's got Sancho. I mean, the, 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 the so-called or supposed amassed talent in those four players and he's had no choice but to just blow them off in in in, in any say he can't do anything else with them wow so get out and yeah. move how how do you lose how do you lose that amount of talent because psychologically those players have serious issues that that aren't about football graham that we, you, you'll notice we kept you on a fair bit there mate because you were making some points um, you were thinking very carefully about what you were saying you wanted to get your points over we appreciate it Graham. thank you so much for that he didn't miss did he no there's a lot of what he said was right I mean obviously one would say that the recruitment processes of football clubs need to try and dig a bit deeper into evaluating what kind of player that you're signing mm. the conflict with Sancho is based upon a, a player that has behaved in a certain way, feels that he's been victimised by a manager, yet that manager, the same manager that sent him off somewhere to look after him in Holland the previous year. You could say that perhaps recruitment needs to look deeper into the character of these players. You can't legislate for, for Greenwood's behaviour. You possibly you can't legislate for Anthony's, but you <clears throat> you can get some indication of what people are like. Yeah. But he's right. I mean, he's, he's making the same argument as me, probably more versed in what Man United are doing on a day-to-day -day basis because it's his club. 
But the gumption and the state... Perhaps we shouldn't blame these players. Perhaps they just simply don't have the character and it comes down to the next generation of players that are bought need to be looked at with a, a, with a yeah. stronger view of what kind of... Because you get players in the Premier League, they can all play technically. But it's about the ones that can actually stand up to adversity. They're all great when it's going their way. It's when adversity comes knocking and that's the, the point that Graham was making the point that I've made, yeah. which is about their lack of substance. And the point that Rio Ferdinand made, we can't keep sacking managers. I mean, can a football club really get what you apparently never had sacking fatigue oh do you know I did really because it's quite debilitating no, to keep, I, I'm keep, cheeky, keep hiring managers it. waste your time invest your time in getting somebody yeah, at the door yeah. that spins you a yarn turns out to be a pup and you've got to drop kick him out the door pay him to go and then bring somebody else in to spin the same yarn <laughs> and that's my fault for, for, try, for interviewing people try, failing to get from them what I saw in the interview and then having to replace them see you're a pushover well, I, I just, you know, I, you know, again, you make mistakes and you look at them. And if you, the, the irony of it is, is that the, the ones that I worked with for periods of time were moderately. Dowie was there for two and a half years, Neil Warnock was there for three years. So I must have been pretty busy for the other five years, getting rid of six or seven managers. But it's not sacking fatigue. You've got to make decisions that I, I've never maintained this view. And having been in the industry for 10, 11 years, having had a father that was a footballer, right, I never maintained this nonsense that you have to keep people in a job just because stability is the order of the day and you need to give people time. In any other walk of life, and everything involves the component part, which is human beings doing a job and doing it well, whether it's in the IT industry, whether it's in retail, every business is centred, business is centred in its in its personnel. So if you've got something, you start here, right, and in a year's time, it's still there, you can't be turning around and saying, well, actually, you haven't moved the dial. It's gotten no better. It's the same as it was. It's the same problems, the same malaise. We're going around in the same ever-decreasing circle. But the football mafia will have you believe that actually you need to give people more and more time. What, so they can make the same mistakes, make it worse and do it for longer? Is that what your argument is? But if you can see as an owner and you're close enough to it or your people that you've de designated are close enough to see that even if it isn't absolutely transparent on the pitch that the green shoots behind the scenes are there, then that's why you give people time. In fact, 18 months' time, if you're running a bank and this bank is just as bad as it was 18 months previously, the chief executive would get his walking papers. Right. And why is it right. any different in football? Sure. Oh, because it's not the way it works, because football people get insulated against everyone else's mistakes, sure. i.e. their own. Do you remember what it's like being in your 20s? I sometimes look back at that period of my life and laugh just as much as I cringe. If you do the same, then you've got to watch Queenie, the new original series on Hulu. Who is Queenie? Queenie is a 20-something year old living in London. She's facing all the firsts. First major heartbreak, first shitty apartment and soul-sucking job, first therapy session to work through those mommy issues. Can she turn her quarter-life crisis into a revolution? Maybe. Will she make some questionable decisions along the way? Definitely. The new series Queenie is now streaming on Hulu. Hey, it's Sharon, and here's where it gets interesting. Raise your hand if you want salon-perfect nails for just $2 a manicure. Yeah, me too. With the Alvin June Manny system, you can say goodbye to expensive services that take hours and hours and love your nails more than ever. I would know I've been doing it for years. Get 20% off your first Manny system with code PERFECTMANNY20 at alvinjune.com slash PERFECTMANNY20. That's PERFECTMANNY20 at alvinjune.com slash PERFECTMANNY20. Now's the time to save 30% on wedding jewelry, only on BlueNile.com. Make sure your wedding ring is the one with your pick of diamond and lab-grown diamond bands, all hand-finished and graded for excellence. 
or surprise her with something blue she'll love for life, like a stunning pair of sapphire earrings. Blue Nile's jewelry experts are available 24-7 to help, from fit questions to style advice. Right now, get up to 30% off at BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Download, stand well back, listen. Outspoken with White and Jordan. From the world's biggest sports radio station, Talk Sport. Spoke to a very interesting gentleman this morning over in uh, Ukraine. Let me just tell you what's going on here. The, the IOC, um, it's come to light that the IOC are uh, considering, more than considering, it could well happen, they've announced it, that they want to reopen the door to Russian and Belarusian athletes once more at next summer's Olympic Games. And of course... This comes at a time when the illegal invasion of Ukraine is still underway. Uh, Ukraine being invaded illegally by its neighbour Russia. Now, of course, um, the IOC has been under pressure to make some kind of announcement on this. And now they've announced it. Yeah, the door is going to be reopened to Russian and Belarusian athletes. So that has caused a stir. Uh, not least uh, amongst those sporting authorities around the world, but also political authorities as well. Jason J. Smart is an international political consultant. He's an author at the Kiev Post. He's political advisor as well, who has lived and worked in Ukraine and Russia, but can no longer work in Russia because back in 2010, he was expelled for life from living in Russia and moved to Ukraine, where he still now lives. I spoke to him this morning over in Kiev, and he has strong views on this. I said to him, look, the IOC we now know have reopened the door for these athletes, Russian and Belarusians, to compete in Paris next summer. But you oppose it. So why is that? Listen, we must absolutely oppose Russia and Belarus's participation in the Games. Let's remember that, by law, most of the Russians of a young age, those who are competing in the Olympics, are also reservist soldiers of the Russian military. Uh, there's no verification that any of them did not participate in atrocities in Ukraine. Uh, as you know, the leader of Russia, Vladimir Putin, is currently wanted by international courts uh, for war crimes. So there's really no way of knowing that these soldiers themselves did not engage in these war crimes or that they in any way opposed them. And having somebody who engages in uh, the plunder of a nation has no place in international sport. But Jason, when you look at it, no Russian teams or flags, no Russian anthems, nothing traditionally Russian. But that's not enough for you. Well, it's not, because as I said, it's the individual soldier. Remember, if you're a reservist in the Russian military from Russia or under a neutral flag from Russia, they are part of the Russian military. There is a problem with this still. It does not make it all better. The IOC, of course, have said that letting individual sports people, which is what they are as well, take part. It's all about respecting human rights. What would you say to that? I think it's laughable. I mean, once again, if they, we respect human rights, is there any verification that they themselves do not engage in war crimes? What about the Russian and Belarusians who are, are clear of any wrongdoing, who are totally innocent of any wrongdoing, who would wish to compete in the Olympics? And how would that be verified first? Secondly to that, when you're part of a criminal, you're from a state that engages in terrorism, you've chose to remain in your, that country, you are a taxpayer of that society, you're contributing to the war in Ukraine. And I think that, no, there is no, absolutely no room for terrorism in international sport. Jason, if the IOC get their way and Russians are allowed to compete, governments across Europe and Ukraine have said they'll look at boycotting the Olympics. Do you think it's going to come to that? 
I think it will. And keep in mind, I think that it's necessary. And the reason it's necessary is very simple. We have a choice here. The world has said very clearly that what Putin has done in Ukraine is only the first step. Everyone is quite clear that there is no intention of stopping there. As he himself has said, it's not about Ukraine. The next is Moldova. The next is Poland or the Baltic states. When you look at these, these are NATO countries. This directly affects Britain. This directly offends, affects the rest of Europe. And the leadership of those countries are all well enough aware that the national security of their own citizens are being jeopardized by Vladimir Putin's regime. So any sort of a step or any sort of a gesture to show that there's acceptance for this very sick societies of Russia and Belarus is something that will eventually hurt the national security of Europe. I'm just trying to be as, as fair uh, about this as I can. What about Russian and Belarusians who haven't lived in those countries for years and have practiced sport professionally elsewhere? If they're practicing professionally elsewhere then for many years, and I'm sure they have citizenship from those countries, and they can compete as citizens of those other countries. Some would say, Jason, of course, when, when they look more closely at you, well, this man, Jason J. Smart, would be saying this. Here's a man who was expelled from living in Russia and expelled for life back in 2010. What, what would you say to that? Well, yes, I was expelled, and I'm very proud of that. And I was expelled precisely for the reason that I was working on issues related to human rights and democracy. And the Putin regime, even back in 2010, was so opposed to this just our basic principles that they expelled me, they expelled journalists, they expelled numbers of people, because Russia has continuously stood up against any sort of democracy and freedom in their country, and they wish to crush it in other countries as well. You'll continue to speak out on this matter of that, I'm quite sure. Uh, Jason, do you ever fear for your, your own existence, your own life? The way I look at it is this. Yes, I get death threats uh, quite often. I've had some sort of a, we say close encounters. Uh, but at the same time, I, no, I, I think that it's necessary. Because if I don't speak up, who else will? And so it's necessary to have a united front against the terrorism of the Putin regime. Will you lobby the IOC, Jason, finally, to make sure that this door is not reopened? to make sure these athletes do not compete? Absolutely. I mean, I will do everything in my power to make sure that there is no participation of Russian or Belarusian citizens in the Olympics coming forward. So, Simon, he, for one, is all over the International <coughs> Olympic Committee who announced yeah. that Russian and Belarusian athletes who have qualified for the Paris 2024 Olympics will be allowed to participate as neutrals. Mm -hmm. He says, no, that can't happen. Well, I've always understood the argument um, about the nature of the Olympics and the idea that these athletes can compete. And I, I love the idea <clears throat> that politics intercedes into sport. Uh, I think there are certain lines that you can cross, and I think the idea that the reasons why you're participating in the Olympics predominantly is because you're associated with a country. Now, there isn't a country called neutral, right? So you're coming from Russia and Belarus, and the, and the facade and the veneer is that you, you're neutral. You don't have a Russian flag. You don't have a Belarusian flag. You don't have national anthems if you're on the podium. Um, you're not accredited in any shape or form besides being an individual. Team sports, they can't participate in a team sport. It can only be individuals. But I've always maintained the view that on the Olympic question, if there is an intersension, that it should be on the basis of the Olympic scenario because that qualification is you're representing your country in one guise or another albeit in this instance they're, they're putting a veneer of neutrality up. When it came to individual sports, where your qualification has nothing to do with your heritage, nothing to do with your passport, when you're the number one tennis player in the world or the former number one tennis player in the world, as Victoria, um, Victoria Zarenko was, her qualification for playing at Wimbledon was because she was one of the best players in the world, not because she was Belarusian. Um, so are I, you with this guy? Well, or, I, am, or, or, I, I, I am. I am with him in, in, in the broadest of terms. I don't know about the points about army reservists, 
and how he can uh, how that can be identified or how that could be eliminated because well, the cent- central argument is that you, I, these people are potential reservists. Well, there's, if, there's if history not, here. Let me tell you, of the 335 athletes who represented Russia in Tokyo, 109 were from the Central Sports Club of the Army, known as CSKA, yeah. and 50 were from the military. Okay, That's according to the International Military Sports Council. So in other words, so, okay. they got in. So if there was a condition that was put upon it that they weren't, a- they weren't able to be those that were either reservists or from these particular environments that are f- specifically affiliated to the military, that would shut down one of Jason's arguments. Um, obviously, we've seen the Russians being excluded from the Olympics previously because of the da- doping regime they've got there. Now they're being excluded potentially because of the uh, the invasion of Ukraine. It's an interesting one because when Sebastian Coe makes an argument in, two th- in 1980 that people bo- people um, you know um, boycotted the uh, 1980 Olympics because of the Russian invasion of Afghanistan, yet in 1984 that they all turned up to, including the Americans, because they hosted it. The Russians were still occupying Afghanistan. So, what did sport actually achieve by taking that position? And that's the the, the difficulty because I never made the argument. I've never been a convert to this argument that by being in an athletics tournament and standing on a podium, that somehow it legitimizes a regime around the world, and somehow it propagates and allows propaganda to be perpetuated through the world. The world can see what's happening in Ukraine. The world understands it. There are sympathisers with it. Perhaps the Chinese are empathetic towards the Russian regime. But most parts of the world are not. So with that in mind, the idea that once upon a time Goebbels could use the 1936 Olympics, or Himmler, whoever it was, to propagate the German foul regime yeah. is, got, is way beyond it now. No, but so hang on, it's so not. So because a Russian who wins Olympic gold in Paris standing on the podium, yeah. having won Olympic gold, would be congratulated by Putin but there'd be, in some shape uh, or form... Uh, and, that's and that fi- enhances his profile. And, and that's fine. With whom and to whom? Does it does it weaken the result? Well, it lets him get in on the gig, if you like. He takes okay. part in something. On, on if, s- if that athlete is not there, Putin doesn't get that opportunity. And, that's, and that also is right. But I, again, I make the argument that we are over-egging the importance of the media in this particular role because I think the Western world and most of the civilised world thinks that Putin's um, uh, war upon Ukraine... Um, is 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 what it is. So it's is unacceptable. The IOC, is the IOC right or wrong to reopen the door to them? I think they're probably wrong. I think it's an unnecessary. I mean, we're talking about the human rights of athletes. Um, I do think that the qualification criteria for for the Olympics is very different from the qualification criteria of playing in a golf tournament or a football tournament or. Uh, it's not, not if you're playing for a, a particular Russian team, obviously. Yeah. If you're, for, for an individual sport like tennis, for example, I think it's different because you're there on merit, not because if you... Again, I think they should be excluded from the Davis Cup. It's team. You're representing your country. If the argument is well rehearsed, and I think it maybe has some substance, albeit it flies in the face of my constant desire to keep politics out of sport, and again, by the argument of 1980, it didn't make bugger all difference, did it? The Russians boycott by the Americans who hosted the next Olympics... Still had Russians in Afghanistan. The was still and still ongoing. had Russians participating in the 1984 Olympics. Well, sure. I mean, um, logic tells us that the Russians will still be in Ukraine come the time of the Paris Olympics. So is the IOC wrong to reopen the door to Russian and Belarusian athletes once more at next Summer Olympics? The world's most dangerous download. Outspoken with White and Jordan. From the world's biggest sports radio station. Talk sport. Simon, you were down in Bournemouth on Sunday night. You watched mm-hmm. Chris Billum Smith do I a did. job on Matthias Masternak. And now, what next for Chris Billum Smith? This man might have the answer to that. He's British cruiserweight fighter Richard Reactpour, who joins us live. Richard, good afternoon. How are you, mate? 
How you doing, Jim? How you doing, Simon? You all right? Yeah, good, Richard. Richard, good to speak to you. I know you want to uh, talk about your beloved Crystal Palace with the man who used to own the football club sitting to my right very shortly. Before we do that, what was your take on Billum Smith's performance? He won against Masternak. The fight was stopped. The pole had a, a, a fractured rib, it was thought. What did you think of Billum Smith in the night? You know what? I think he was uh, pretty pretty lucky to get through to get through that fight. That fight was really tough. Um, it's exactly how I expected it to go. I believe that Masanak was going to be very tricky. I've I've had um, the opportunity to share a lot of rounds with Masanak, and I knew he throws that right hand over the lead hand jab. Um, he's he's quite intelligent. He knows when to fight, when not to fight, and I knew it was going to be difficult for him. And to be honest, I was actually leading leaning towards uh, Masanak to get the W, and um, you know, Chris Billis Smith pulled it off. So congrats, congrats to him. And that, that just sets up sets up a massive fight, a massive domestic fight between us two. So I've, has your phone been ringing, uh, Richard, since then? Is, is that the talk that it could be React or Billum Smith next? Yep. Um, yeah, I've, I think um, Boxer have a call with, um, with the WBO today and hopefully they can order that fight ASAP. And I'm ready to go. I'm in the gym now. Trainer, I just literally came out sparring to take this to take this call to do an interview with you guys. Are you, man, yeah, I'm, are, I'm, you I'm, are you the mandatory, Richard? Yeah, I'm. I'm number one contender. So yeah, I know you are. The yeah. WBO, they all they need to do is just make me mandatory, and that's it. The fight is it will happen regardless. When when you, when you look at Chris Billum Smith, obviously you two guys fought a while yeah. ago, um, back in the day when you, I think it was your 10th fight and it was a split decision outcome in your favour. Um, yeah. You've both gone on and he's gone on and, f- and fought a couple of world-level fighters in Akoli yeah. and, and, and Masternak and got his belt. When you look yeah. at the fighter that you fought, Richard, I saw you prowling around the ring and I ov- obviously back in May I saw you waiting for the opportunity to call out Lawrence Akoli. That went badly for Akoli and so now here we are with Chris Billum Smith. When you look at the fighter that you fought and now you look at the world champion that came through, that I think that you were probably right that at times in the fight he was a little bit lucky but I thought he would catch up with Masternak later on in the fight anyway and it was beginning to move towards that. Do you think he's massively improved from the fighter that you fought two or three years ago? I think he definitely has improved, for sure. He's definitely have, has improved, but massively, I think that's a bit of a stretch. I wouldn't use that word. Well, okay. When you when you look at him against the fighter that you fought, he's now beaten the world champion in Nakoli, whatever you think of him, and you don't have quite the same rancor, do you? You had, you had the irritation levels with Lawrence. There isn't quite the same <laughs> prickly spikiness between you and Chris Bullum Smith. Are you engineering that by suggesting that he hasn't improved? Or, or do you genuinely think that there's nothing for you to really worry about? There's no improvement from what you saw last time you fought him and that you'll do a job on him this time even better than the first one? You know, it's, I, I, believe, I believe in my ability and uh, I know my gifts. And I just believe any, any person that I land on is definitely going to get KO'd. So I always back myself. That's the reason why maybe I've come across like it, it's, a, it's an easy fight and I'll run straight through him. But I respect um, Chris Bill and Smith. I remember when we shared the ring, I've I, I completely underestimated him. I thought he was a, he was a bum, honestly. And uh, he, he shocked me. He gave me a, a proper fight. But now, now that's Frazier in the background there. Mr. Jordan, <laughs> I heard you on Pablo's ring piece not long ago. I'm going to prove you wrong, my friend. Well, I hope you do, Get Fraser. Started. It wasn't great that I watched last time round, but I hope you're right. But I'm talking. I'm talking to Richard right now. I'll talk to you later, Richard. Yeah, like how, 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 how have you improved? How have you improved, Richard? 
When you when you look, I saw you. I saw you knock out Glowacki, and I thought that was impressive. How have you yeah. improved in your um, repertoire since the fight with Chris Bullen Smith? So um, I think it's just it's plain to see. You know, my my IQ, my IQ, if anything, has improved a lot. So um, I understand my my attributes. I understand what I'm capable of. I have more confidence in myself, more self belief. Um, I, I just understand the game a bit better. I understand my body, you know, through through all of the fights that I've had. So I know, I know when I can push, when I shouldn't push. I, I just know I have a lot of a lot of knowledge now about myself, and you could just see by by the results. We're, we're always a lot more confidence, a lot more belief. Richard was. I, I was talking to one of your friends at the Manchester fight where you knocked out Glowacki, and he talked about you're developing mentally more belief in yourself. Yeah. Yeah, and that and that's you know what once it gets to the to the world level on that stage, people don't understand the the significance of that. Mm. You know, everybody trains hard. Chris Bill and Smith is gonna train hard, I'm gonna train hard. And um, you know, we've got very intelligent people around us to to prepare us, but you know, the the defining factor is gonna be the psychological element. And, and that's why Custom out you always said that boxing is ninety percent mental. When you come from the amateurs, mm. you don't understand the element because it's, it's all about point scoring. You don't even think about that. But when you come over to the to the to the pros, you know that 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 ability to to believe that you can get a job done, go twelve rounds, still look good, get the job done against an opponent that's very dangerous is 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 the key. Well, the Richard, key. And I, I'm, I'm like that. As as we know, Billam Smith got the win on Sunday night. He was on Drive on Talksport yesterday, and he was talking about you. I want it to be in Bournemouth again because the crowd is just phenomenal down there. Um, and, you know, there's a lot of talk about it being Richard next. So then if if that's the case, then that's uh, that then then it's him. The idea was he, we were both going to get belts, I think, at one point. We were looking to both hopefully get belts and then unify. But um, if he's next, then I'm, I'm be over the moon with that. So he wants to fight you. You want to fight him. Um, it seems like it's not going to be that difficult to get this thing on, Richard. I don't think so. I don't think so. But um, after the after the fight, I'm sure you heard, Sai, um, when they asked him, what's next for you? You start to talk about unification, start to talk about vacant belts. And now he's changed his tone. It's funny. I feel like he's realised that there's no way out of this. I feel like they've, they've been trying to avoid me for, for a long time, for a long time. And now they're like in the corner. They have to take the fight. The fans don't want to see, they don't want to see anybody else fight. They don't want to see an international fight. They're not that interested. They're always going to be interested in, t in a domestic fight and even better, a world title fight. So we want to, we want to, we want to make it happen. I think, it's a, I, think and, it's a, I think it's a great fight, Richard. I'd, I'd like to see you at a table with a belt because I think the conversations would be different then in terms of what you may be able to achieve out of the fight economically um, because I'd like, I always like to see unifications between British fighters when you both got a belt. What do you make to this fella? He's got a lot of noise in Australia. Jai Opatea. Talks a very big game. Backed it up with a win against Jordan, Jordan Thompson, which was about levels. Fighting on the undercard of a big fight on the 23rd of December. What do you make to him? Yeah, he's a good fighter from what I've seen. He he seems like he's um he's got a strong strong he's, he's strong mental mentally, um and we know that from the fight where he had with uh, Breedis and he had his jaw broken yeah. but he still um, managed to fight on, you know that shows character that shows um a warrior type of mentality so he's definitely a, a threat, um from his record apart from Breedis, you know there's not much to to look at, you know his last fight against um Jordan, Jordan Thompson, Thompson yeah. You know, we, we can't really judge that. Jordan Thompson hasn't really had a fight with, with a southpaw, let alone somebody at 
at some, let's say, the British level, you know, and, you know, that's that was bound to happen, you know, in my opinion. And when we were trying to make that fight, they actually wanted um, Jordan Thompson for a warm-up, and that speaks volumes. So, you know, we, we have to wait and see. And now okay. his next fight, I think, actually, I think he's vacated his title. That's what I heard. I think he's vacated his title, title to fight Ellis Zorro on the 23rd. Mm. And, um, you know, that, that has probably put a dampen into things because everybody wanted to see that fight um, eventually between me and him. But, you know, I don't have no time to be focused on anybody else but but my next opponent at the minute. Absolutely right. But okay. when that time Absolutely comes, right. I'm going to show the world um, what, what I'm made of. Extending well, uh, fight of vitality, that would be good. We're big admirers, uh, Richard, and if that happens, you against Billum Smith, uh, we'd look forward to it eventually. Did I hear Fraser Clark behind you saying you'd like to stick one on Simon? That that would be interesting. That'd be good. What's that? You want to have another talk with him? No, I don't. Are <laughs> we oh, talking to you? <laughs> oh, what, sorry, what did you... <laughs> when he wins something, we can talk to him. Listen, Richard, before you go, what about your beloved Crystal Palace? They've only won uh, four and 16. Next up, Manchester City. I mean, come on. Man, it's it's, it's tough, man. I'm not going to lie. It's, it's hard to be a Palace fan at the minute, but, you know, the, the, the thing I love about Palace is everybody sticks, sticks with it. You know, they just continue supporting... They might kick up a fuss, cry and complain, but they're loyal. You know that's why I love the team. And um, you know what? We actually have I have I have a call with Crystal Palace today at one o'clock because we want to do a big fight um, at at the stadium in in May. So um, I'm really looking forward to that and and seeing how we can make that manifest in, in the real life. So. That's what I was going to say, anything, Richard. That's what I was going to say. Everybody if, can look forward to that. That would wow. be great. That would be great. Because, you know, if yeah. I was still there, you'd have a fight there, mate. Make sure Paris does it. And make sure he doesn't take any of the receipts and you keep all the money. <laughs> We've just, we just lost Richard there, just as you were giving him a bit of financial advice. Richard Riappor. Riappor against Billum Smith, uh, I reckon... Down in the vitality, that would be something else, wouldn't it? it I think he would give Billum Smith a lot of trouble. Um, I would, I, for me, I would be. I'm, I'm, I really like Chris Billum Smith. Yeah, yeah. Even though he pushed me out of the way on Sunday, um, but I would be behind <laughs> Richard Riakpo. I'm a big fan so of Richard. Show the way. Fraser Clark wants to <laughs> bash me I up. Tell yeah. you what, you better watch what you're seeing. The world's most dangerous download. Outspoken with White and Jordan from the world's biggest sports radio station, Talk Sport. Thanks for listening to Outspoken with White and Jordan. Please leave us a five-star review wherever you get your podcast from. We'll be back tomorrow to bring you the best of the show. Step onto the legendary clay courts of Roland Garros, where the world's best players battle it out at the French Open for a chance to win a Grand Slam title. Tennis Channel Plus is your place to watch. Stream every court from your phone or smart TV live in HD. See the action unfold as legends fight for glory and new rivalries emerge. Daily live coverage begins Monday, May 20th, with match replays on demand so you never miss a moment. From the first serve to the final point, Roland Garros promises unforgettable moments and new chapters in tennis history. Stream now with Tennis Channel Plus to be there when it happens. Roundabout Season 2, presented by Nissan, is live now, and we're back to share more stories from the road and the memories made along the way. We're talking rest stops. If we're stopping to get gas, you will be timed. Misguided plans. I grew up in the city, so I have, like, you know, a healthy fear of real extreme darkness. <laughs> a lot of laughs. Y'all weird, but you, yeah, you, you were different. And so much more. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.